How's it going, everybody? It is 9.25 on Thursday evening, which is roughly my regularly scheduled recording time now. So it is time for another trip down the homeward path. This is a show by me. My name is Adam, and I'm a husband, father, full-time factory worker. And it originated out of my car, and tonight we're kind of returning to those roots because what seems to be becoming more and more my free time that I can use is recording while I'm drying clothes at the laundromat. So, this is what we have going on right now. Uh, but, this is the show for those of you who, are, who, who have full-time lives, and magic is just a big part of it. So it's about playing on a budget. It's about finding a way to enjoy your passion, even when it's not necessarily the biggest thing in your life. So while we were away this week, we had a big tournament and a couple of big announcements. Uh, the big announcements mainly coming today. And our main topic, this time of year, I really like to kind of buckled down and focus on a few fundamental aspects of play. I like to kind of rein in, kind of take stock and look at the classes of cards that are maybe a little bit misevaluated in the community, or at least I feel like they are, and step back, re, you know, kind of lay out how I feel about them. And so this week we're going to talk about one of them that is fairly ubiquitous but it's going to get a little bit of upheaval come the fall set so i thought it was really important to take a look at them and speaking of things you can take a look at you can take a look at our sponsor at inkgaming.com and use our promo code ccmtg10 at checkout and get 10 percent off your order deck out your accessories your your friends and other various you know opponents will will not be able to help but look at your playing space because it's going to be decked out so well um and we are also brought to you by constructedcriticism.com please do yourself a favor and head over there and check out the content even with spencer out this week trey did an absolutely hysterical ad read for the oasis games promo and just having those two on the show is a delight it, it, it's just fun. It just always is. And common knowledge is in full swing. They're going to have all kinds of stuff to talk about. We'll get to why in a minute. Uh, you know, Hive Mind's great. There, there's really not another MTG talk show quite like it or at all out there. So having that and the 10 Street Hooligans is, is just, it's also good. Do yourself a favor and check that out. And while you're checking stuff out on the web, if you feel like you were getting enough out of this show that you want to help me keep making it, head on over to patreon.com slash homewardpath uh, MTGE. Sorry, English, broken, not working. Uh, the show's always going to be free. But if you feel like you were getting enough back out of what I'm doing that you want to help me do it, please feel free to donate. I will make sure that it gets put to good use. Uh, namely, now that we're settling into a more typical audio uh more typical recording setup with tonight is the obvious exception better equipment the ability to you know have a proper 
set up in the studio at the house, you know, kind of a big deal. Um, as opposed to phone plus headset plus like in phone editing software. But I digress. All of that out of the way. Let's dive in. So while we were away, the Mythic Championship, uh, it was Mythic Championship 3, took place in Las Vegas. And we had a winner, and boy, was it a surprise. And I don't mean that in, as any sort of a slight to uh, Matias Leverado, who ended up winning the event. Uh, Leverado qualified the way so many people complained wouldn't be possible or they didn't know how. Matias Leverado qualified for an Arena Mythic Championship by playing Arena. Embraced the grind and got, got, got his chance at the biggest stage and just took the thing down. Now, I was playing Simic Nexus. I'm not personally very fond of the deck, but Leverado was clearly a master of said deck. And again, it was great to see an unknown name come out of basic, seemingly nowhere, I'm not going to say basically nowhere, seemingly nowhere, to, you know, come through the hardest path to qualify and just take the thing down. You know, all the complaints on, on Twitter about, I wish we knew more about how to qualify for Mythic Championships, or I wish there was a clear path on how to get there, and then... Leverado just does that thing. I, I, I was thrilled. And the matches that I got to watch on camera were pretty stellar. There were a lot of Esper versus White Weenie. Admittedly, I wasn't too thrilled about that. But even within those matches, there was a lot of exciting gameplay. There was a lot of intrigue in some of the card choices. It was just a, it was a treat to watch. Uh, I got to watch far more of this one than I have basically any since i got back to playing magic so like getting to really sit down take stock and be invested in a really high level professional event was something that i was really excited about and other things to be excited about uh, wizards announced the new historic format on arena We've, we've all speculated about what Standard Plus was going to be when they started talking about it way, way back. And the community got itself convinced that we were going to get Kaladesh and Amonkhet back. We're not getting those back. It's just going to be what we already have on Arena, plus everything that comes out, everything that comes out later. Now, they said they may end up putting those sets on Arena, but the manner in which they do so, they don't know. So it may be like some, you know, getting to revisit some old limited formats. It may be, you know, as like a, a, a historical standard thing where they, you know, arm you with pre-generated decks and you go at it. Who knows? But they have, they have confirmed that the format will exist. It is going to be casual only, like best of one, best of three, no ranked play for it. And you can play practice matches against Sparky. And uh, no ranked queues and no events for it outside of stuff like, you know, they might do Pauper, Historic, or uh, Singleton Historic, or stuff like that. Just to kind of, you know, change things up every now and then. But by and large, it's a format that's just designed to give you the opportunity to keep playing with your old cards. And while there has been a lot of 
you know, blowback at least initially by the community over the format. I'm, 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 I'm not, I don't feel one way or the other about it. It turned out about how I expected it was going to, which was a format that gave you the ability to use your old cards. It's wild on Hearthstone. That's all it is. Now, wild is largely irrelevant, but that's, that has a lot to do with the fact that you can dust your old cards on Hearthstone. You can't do that on Arena. You're not going to get anything back for all these old cards when they rotate. Except the opportunity to play them in Historic. So, not having, you know, access to some of my favorite decks of all time. Yeah, that's it's, it's going to be kind of a blow. There's a lot of stuff we, we speculated on, like thinking about maybe we wanted to, to try to come up with lists for, but I'm not, I'm not like super upset that I don't get to play Teamer Energy again. I really did enjoy the deck, but that's fine. Uh, and then another big format announcement is the birth of properly sanctioned, officially unified pauper, which is to say the list for Magic Online and Paper is becoming unified. They will share a ban list. And stores will finally be able to sanction competitive pauper events. Hallelujah. This, this has got to have uh, Brandon and Sean jumping up and down, chomping at the bit, like ready to do this. And I don't blame them at all. I am I'm stoked. I'm beyond stoked for official pauper. Now I just got to help get the rest of the community that way here. Because I want to sit down. I want to. I want to start showing up and playing Pauper F and M. <laughs> Am I horrible? No, no, I'm not. Pauper's awesome. You should try it. Um, but those are kind of the the three big things I wanted to touch on for while we were away this week. So with that out of the way, let's dive into our main topic this week. Because again, as I said earlier, I like this time of year to kind of take stock. Focus on some fundamental aspects of play, and in particular, cards and card evaluation. And there's a class of card I feel is both overrepresented and largely misunderstood in current standard play, and even to some extent in modern play, and that is the cantrip. This kind of card can really trip you up. Anyone? Anyone? No? Oh, sorry. Shouting into the void again. Trying to make a joke. Um, but it's it's really easy to make mistakes regarding cantrips, and I've made a lot of them in my time. But I feel like I've learned from them. I was pretty early to the party on Charter Course. I really enjoy playing with that card. Charter Course is powerful because it's not just a cantrip. Sometimes it's actually just a divination for two mana. And we're getting something similar in uh, M20. Uh, for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the card. I'm in airplane mode, so I don't get interrupted with a phone call. So, you know, we got what we got. Uh, may have a screenshot here. Okay. Yeah, I do. Uh, winged words. Costs one less to cast if you control a creature with flying, and it's just divination. Otherwise, you know, two and a blue, draw two cards, and cost one less to cast if you control a uh, creature with flying. Let's slow down and use words. Oh. Uh, so, what is it about cantrips that makes them both so highly played, but so wildly like misunderstood by large portions of the community? 
And what it is, it's, it's rooted in the history of how cantrips are applied to deck building. And it's rooted in, honestly, I would say a lot of like bad information cascades. Which is to say, someone who is really popular, someone who is, who is a, a well-respected voice in the community, saying this card is good and this card is bad, and just the community continually going around with it and saying, yeah, that's exactly how things are and nothing is, it's, it's all black and white, there is no shade of gray there. So, what I want to do is... Let's let's take a look at some of the cantrips we have in standard right now and break them down into their categories. The the kinds of categories of, of cantrip that I've seen over the years. So I've, I've had a few of those at this game. The first category I want to talk about are just the quote unquote pure cantrips, which are cards that dig deep, or at least deeper than they should for their mana cost. And the entire value of the card is the selection aspect. It's not that you get card advantage. It's that you get card quality advantage. You get the cards you're looking for more often. That's the first thing to look for in cantrips, and it's the first place I look for in cantrips anyway. So, you know, our poster child for that in standard is opt, but we have kind of quote-unquote lesser forms and cards like Discovery and Dispersal, um, Anticipate, Shimmer Possibility. Um, there was another one, and my brain is flaking on me. Anyway, Opt, Anticipate, Shimmer, Discovery, Dispersal. Just cards that dig deeper than they should for their mana cost and give you the card you want out of several that you have to choose from. These are cards that are independent largely of synergy, like you're not, you're not getting any particular advantage from having played them, other than the fact that the cards you draw, the cards in your hand are now a little bit stronger. So what the way I like to evaluate these is I will either compare them to really powerful ones of the past, or we'll just look at them through the lens of like what they do for the amount of mana invested. So when it comes to these, it's number of cards seen versus amount of mana spent. So opt, there's not another one mana cantrip in standard that sees potentially two cards. There's just not. There's not another way around that. The fact that it's an instant is great. The fact that it costs one mana is great. The fact that you get the scribe before you draw is like the whole reason the card's good. Like... Everything about Opt is, to me, Opt is like the perfect standard cantrip. It's not too powerful. It doesn't lend itself to, to you know, ridiculousness like Ponder and Brainstorm and Preordain do. To where decks are just too good at finding everything they need all the time. But it helps smooth some things out. It gives you another look at a land drop early in the game, another look for gas when you're, when you're starting to flood out. You know, just one extra little peak. By contrast, stuff like, stuff like Discovery Dispersal, Shimmer, Anticipate, you're looking at more cards for more mana. Well, how many more cards will Opt again sees a maximum of two? The one you scry to the bottom and then the one you draw. It sees a total of two cards. Well, 
Discovery Dispersal sees a maximum of three cards for one more mana, so it digs one card deeper. You Surveil two, and then you can, if you Surveil both of them into the graveyard, you'll draw the third. Well, Anticipate sees three cards every single time. Shimmer of Possibility sees four cards every single time. Augur of Bolas sees three cards every single time. And that's kind of the benchmark you're looking for, especially at two mana, is you want to know what you're getting out of the card. You want to know for sure how deep you're digging and what kind of cards you need to be looking for. And in the case of Augur, you know, you're, you're playing Augur with a bunch of hits. You're playing, uh, you're playing Shimmer and Anticipate because there's things you're trying to find. Or because your deck, like the uh, blue-black Terramander deck I covered in Writing with Cards a little while back, sometimes you can draw the wrong half of your deck and the ability to go through several cards and find the one you need versus just blindly drawing a bunch of cards and then discarding and hoping to find the right ones seems really good. And that's, that's kind of where cantrips historically draw their inspiration. As I mentioned in the Is It Phoenix or the Is It Xerox kind of archetype as a whole and standard on writing with cards this week, uh, the whole premise behind cantrips being good at helping decks overcome issues is rooted in the history behind Turbo Xerox that eventually became Miracle Grow, that eventually came to like dominate some of the ways we build decks. You know, playing enough of can enough cantrips at this mana cost allows you to cut this many lands as long as they see this many cards. Allows you to play this many, you know, you, there are so many cards you can play as a one-off because of the number of cantrips you're running. You can dig through and find them. That's the, the, the premise behind them is that deck building rules change when you get to see more cards. So from the, the baseline standpoint, that's where they're where Cantrips line up. That's where they're good. And these are kind of the baseline cantrips. They just see cards. That's all they do. Sometimes discovering dispersal is going to bend stuff, but a lot of the time you're just kind of treating it almost like an opt that digs one deeper. And, and you know, instead of scry, scry one, draw one, it's scry two, draw one. Just sometimes you get to turn on Arclight Phoenix or bend an extra spell to turn your Terramander into a 5-5. An overwhelming majority of the time, it's just basically an opt for an extra mana and an extra card. So from there, we move to the second class of cantrips, which are the card advantage neutral draw spells at lower mana costs. And these are the ones that are seeing the most play in standard right now. These are Charter Course, Tormenting Voice. These are cards that draw multiple cards, but then have you discard cards. Another recent example would be something like Cathartic Reunion that caused you to dig really deep into your deck, but you had to discard two cards in order to do it. These are cards that tend to lend themselves well to being abused by synergies, obviously, in this standard. Charter Course and Tormenting Voice are really, really good when you want to play Arclight Phoenix and Finale of Promise. Because you get to help set up both of those cards just by resolving your cantrip. That's really powerful. So 
when you can really take advantage of these, they are going to be better than just raw selection because the things you can do with them are a little bit more powerful. Sometimes there's synergies involving drawing cards. Sometimes there's synergies involving uh, the graveyard. Sometimes the synergy is involving casting a bunch of spells. Whatever the case may be, sometimes the synergy is in getting the cards back from your graveyard later. Cycling is another really good example of these. Just as in general, cycling cards are basically cantrips. And I would argue they fall into this class where they're going to dig you deeper than they should given the type of card they are in a card advantage neutral manner. They discard to draw. Or draw, then discard. And then last but not least are spell effects that have the words draw a card or have some kind of card selection text tacked onto them. That last section is a little bit more dubious and a little bit harder to kind of nail down what's good and what's not. Because once you cross into this territory, you're crossing out of like tempo and, and you know, card velocity and into, you know, more mid-rangey areas of things like value. But cards like Exclude are also valuable to their decks. Cards like Thought Erasure, where you are perfectly comfortable playing Thought Erasure if it never had the word Surveil 1 on it. But there's a little bit of card selection tacked onto it. The, the best examples of these that we have in Standard right now, we have, obviously, there's Thought Erasure. There's Growth Spiral, I would argue, is such a card. You are getting an additional land drop and drawing a card. That's what you're doing. Um, I mean, Search for Escanta is like overflowing value over turn, so it doesn't really fit here. The idea with, with these cards is to get a spell effect you're comfortable with up front and then get something tacked onto it that... that pluses your card advantage or digs you deeper into your deck a really good again we mentioned uh thought erasure um what was the other one my brain is just all over the place this week it's been a long week sorry Th uh, thought erasure uh rouse outburst is another good example where you are essentially you're, you're trading one card for Two cards. But you get to look at three. Or you get to look at two. You you lightning strike and then you sleight of hand. Except the card you don't take goes to the graveyard instead of the bottom. You, you sleight of hand and then you basically surveil one. You basically surveil two and keep the card you like. And that's not bad. These kinds of effects tend to be overcosted. Historical examples are cards like Exclude, which is Essence Scatter plus one mana and plus one card. Or cards like Recoil, bounce a creature or bounce it's bounce a non-land permanent or bounce a permanent even. Make them discard a card. Or repulse, bounce a creature, draw a card for. You get unsummon and draw a card for two and a blue, which is just not good right now. 
But even in, in decks like Mono Red Memekin in Standard, where you're playing, you know, Runaway Steamkin, Electrostatic Field, and a whole bunch of one-mana spells that draw cards, that's basically what you're doing with them. They are one-mana spells that cycle, so they're kind of like our second category, because you're, you're using them for synergy. You're using them because they're one-mana. For every three of them played, you get the three-mana back from the Steamkin, and then you're chipping away at your opponent's life total. But there are also sometimes relevant spell effects, like Crash Through granting your 4-4 Flamekin, or your 4-4 Steamkin's Trample. It's not nothing. You know, Warlord's Fury giving them first strike so that they can beat through four toughness creatures easily. That's not nothing. It's not ideal, but it's not nothing. Even in, uh, like, the Feather deck. Part of the reason that deck is so good is because, like, Defiant Strike's not an unreasonable magic card in that shell, even when you're not breaking it with uh, Feather and Dreadhorde Arcanist. Even when you're just casting it on a 10th District Legionnaire and getting to put a counter on the Legionnaire, plus one, scry one, draw one, that's a lot of value out of one card. So, like, the thing with cantrips that we have to remember is a lot of the time, while there's a handful of them that are ubiquitous, there's some that are lying just below the surface that are just looking for the right shell for you to really kind of expose how good they can be. Uh, Anticipate has been confirmed to return and in M20, and Shimmer Possibility was obviously in Ravnica Allegiance. So... There's going to be some work done on my end on something like that for uh, the Blue-Black Terramander deck, which is regrettably going to be losing Opt, unless we get something similar in the fall set. There's going to be some. I'm, I'm going to be working on something. But the basic premise behind it is cantrips in general, like what you want out of them is to just see a lot of cards. And find the ones you need to adapt to a given situation. That's what makes these blue decks so good. Is the ability to see a bunch of cards, find the ones you need, and use them the way you know you have to. They're, they're a class of card that rewards as much your knowledge of your opponent's deck as it does your knowledge of your own. They're a class of cards that tend to be powerful but not usually particularly broken. Sometimes they lend themselves to homogenous gameplay, which is why they get banned. Like decks have way too easy a time finding the specific cards they need, and it can lead to degenerate decks taking advantage. That's why we don't have Ponder and Preordain in Modern. But even something like Faithless Looting. If we don't have exactly Bridge from Below Hogok, Faithless Looting's really not that bad. I don't actually have a problem with Faithless Looting in Modern. Even when Is It Phoenix was tearing the tournament scene up, I don't. Looting isn't the reason that deck's good. It's a reason the deck's good. It's not the reason the deck's good. It's just a good deck. It would exist without looting. Yeah, it probably wouldn't be quite as good. It'd still be pretty strong. You'd still have access to Thought Scour. You'd still have access to uh, Manamorphose. Again, would it be worse? Yes, but it would still be pretty good.
Metamorphose falls into that other that that uh, that last category. It's a spell effect you want in that deck. You know, sometimes you got to fix your mana up. It's a free card, and it draws a card. Like you're playing that card because it cycles, and then fixed and is it's mana neutral cycling. That's why you're playing Metamorphose in there. It's a free spell. So, like, cantrips are a really easy section of, of deck design to get wrong. You know, it's really easy to fall into the trap of, well, because this one is the only one that players are playing in this kind of shell, it must be the only one that's good. A really good example is jamming, just going all the way in on charter course everywhere I've, I've played cantrips in standard. Sometimes it's not good. I eventually settled in on trying out uh, Shimmer Possibility in some of those slots where Sorcery Speed card selection, but I was having issues for drawing two cards. I wasn't finding anything. I wasn't finding stuff. I needed more live draws than I needed, like, draw two, discard one. I needed, you know, I needed the ability to find specific cards, and that's where I stumbled, and, you know, that's where I started using Shimmer. I got the idea from what I was doing with Anticipate during the uh, the summer before Battle for Zendikar rotated out of standard. I was playing Grixis Control, and Anticipate was one of my key early game cantrips that allowed me to trim down to 24 lands in Grixis Control, which was essentially blue-red control splashing the Scarab God. So, you know, it was, it was blue-red control with Wandering Fumarole and uh, Torrential Gearhulk, the Scarab God, and just a smattering of removal and disruption and counter magic. And it's really easy to draw the wrong part of that deck, and it's really easy to not have enough of the kinds of effects you want. And if you're only playing 24 lands in that shell, it's really easy to get mana screwed. And when I tried to, when I tried to port the deck into post-rotation standard, it just wasn't good enough. Because suddenly, my early game smoothing effects were gone, the only, th I, you know, we didn't have opt yet, and the only thing I had to, I had to rely on to get me deeper into my library was Glimmer of Genius. That'd be like trying to play Esper Control right now with just Chemister's Insight is the only way you had to find more cards. Don't do it to yourself. Take a minute, take a look, see what it is you want from your cantrips, and see if you can push them a little bit harder. That's that's really my only my only advice to give you for this. See if you can push that edge just a little bit more. That card selection edge you're going for. So that's going to wrap up the main topic this week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm hopeful that you enjoyed it. I'm also hopeful that you will join the conversation. Check me out on Twitter. I am at HomewardPathMTG. On Facebook, my name is Adam Spain, like the country. Uh, my Facebook group for the show is Homeward Pathfinders. If you're a patron of the show, you gain access to the Patron Pathfinders Discord, where we discuss episode topics, and once there's more than a couple of people in there, we're going to start doing some contests to get, you know, DAC tax featured, or potentially even going as far as trying to, you know, get a patron to co-host an episode. We're, we're, you know, we get enough people talking, we get enough conversation going, we're, we're going to head in that direction eventually. And then last but not least, 
I got to go to my favorite segment every week. I love puns and I love magic. So it just made sense to put the two of them together. So let's go back. Let's see. Where was it? Oh, Lord. Yes, I forgot about that. So Magic Arena or MTG Arena's Twitter page and Wizards Magic as a whole just had a ton of fun with Father's Day. And I was here for all of it. Uh, the first one says, how do ghosts get their magic cards? Well, they open booster packs. <laughs> uh, the second one says, "How does a, what does a necromancer planeswalker wear on a semi-formal occasion? It would be a Liliana vest. Liliana vest. Or we have... What is a cat's favorite land? Mountains, of course. <laughs> Mary appreciates that joke. Um, this is what do dogs do to get more black mana? Bark ritual. We have another one. Says, uh, what is an Eldrazi's favorite topping? Says Emrakul whip. And I had to have a little bit of fun at their expense because in, in addition to being a big fan of magic and a big fan of puns, I've also watched way too much Family Guy in my time. So I had to get my little dig in there and say, Emre Cool Fip. Putting all the emphasis on the H. Cool Fip. Um, uh, another one says, What does Defile do? It holds the paperwork. <laughs> Says, why didn't we include Invisible Stalker? We just couldn't see it in her deck. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, this one is from, what is the name? Firecraft, at Firecraft MTG. Says, this could be shockingly good and it's Ley Line of Combustion, which shocks your opponent every time they target you and or at least one permanent you control. <laughs> it's pretty great. Uh... Ben Blyweiss of Star City Games, I guess you could say fame. But if you're an, an, an if you're a crotchety old magic player like I am, you may also remember when Ben was the author for the column that essentially became the inspiration for this podcast, which was building on a budget. Uh and Ben says Someone told me Lilan of Devoid was spoiled. And I said, why would you want to make all your creatures colorless? <laughs> Love it. And then Blywise followed it up with another one. It says, in previous formats, I've always first picked it because you should never pacifism. Anyone? Anyone? Okay. I had another one. for. Uh, we had another one from Jess Estefan of the MPL. She said, I had to raise the alarm on these awesome preview cards, and it was previewing Raise the Alarm and Woodland Champion, who really, really likes to see that Raise the Alarm resolve. Um, and then a couple of days ago, we had a really, really good one from Brian DeMars, who says, whenever I hear someone say the old adage, the greatest gifts are the gifts you give yourself, I immediately think of all the times I've cast gifts ungiven while my opponent was mild, mind-slavered and smile in agreement. 
<laughs> and then followed up to say, I'm going to give myself Lotus and Will. I'm go also going to give myself Tinker and Time Walk. Opponent gets to watch me open the presents while wearing a festive hat. <laughs> Sounds like a great time. Uh, we have our obligatory appearance from Tales from the Pit of Mark Rosewater, number 2073. It says, why did Ketis do the things he did? Elf preservation. <laughs> and last but not least, let me get this one to actually pull up so I can read it. Uh, with the announcement, it's, it begins on a tweet from Aaron Forsyth. It says, Pauper has a unified card pool now. Anything common and gatherer will be sanctionable soon. Him to Turok, High Tide, and Sinkhole added to the ban list. And at Mr. Bernie says, would you say Pauper has a common legality list now? Huh? Common. That's stuff in common with... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> That's going to wrap up the, the episode, everybody. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if anyone has a suggestion for types of cards they want to hear about in next week's episode, let me know. Uh, Brett is coming down to play FNM tomorrow. So there may end up being a riding in cars special where I don't actually ride in a car. We're just going to get a, a deck deck of Brett laying his cards out. And or me. We'll find out. Uh, for that's that's our upcoming content plug for the week. Remember to check out the rest the the network over at Constructive Criticism. Check out Inked. Like one of the things I've got to do is get uh, a logo that I really like for the show. And once I can get to that point, I am going to uh, submit a design to Inked for the show. So if that's something you would be interested in, please let me know. If anybody you know wants to wants to help me out on that logo, it'd be stellar as well. So thanks again for listening everybody. I really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed and I will catch you on the next trip down the homeward path. Take it easy.